0: Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast. Breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We are Phantology. You may have heard of this.
1: So anyway, Harry's looking at Cho, right? She's hot. She's into Quidditch. She's probably smart because she's in Ravenclaw. But then when they actually spend time together, they realize that they have nothing to talk about. It's rough. Just a really
0: low moment from Harry while they're on the date and he brings up Hermione.
1: Yeah. But also an overreaction from Cho. But yeah. you have to take into account this is this is the hot Hermione version we're talking about, like post-shrunken teeth.
0: All right, what's up, Dumbledore's Army and Inquisitorial Squad, whichever side you prefer to be on. We've got another Harry Potter episode coming to you from Phantology with Dan and Nathan, and I am Steven, and we are pumped to bring you Order of the Phoenix. So pumped. Yeah. So Order, Order of the Phoenix, this is the longest book in the series by far, and it's a huge tone shift, I think, from the previous four. Well, I would say like maybe halfway through or towards the end of the fourth book, End of Goblet of Fire, we started to get into like these more adult themes a little bit, and we explore those quite a lot. In this book, I have a few uh, comments to make about just like the divide between the wizards and the muggles and the adults and the kids and how Harry and co are transitioning here. And I think you see that in a few different ways, but like your guys overall thoughts on the book before we get into the plot. So for me personally, I did not like this book. Whoa. Like it all. Um, like you, you didn't like it or you like, you liked other Harry Potter's better or what's the deal? It's like number like five out of seven.
1: So it's still an enjoyable book then. Well, Well, yeah, seven out of seven. Yeah, what is the worst?
0: Number seven. My least favorite would probably be number
1: two. Whoa.
0: I just felt like this book just dragged on. I mean, it's long. It is It is super long, and I just felt like there's some parts that weren't necessary to the plot that just were in there, and they didn't really add anything to to Harry or to the other characters. They're just there to make the book longer.
1: Okay, interested to see what those things are. I agree. There are a lot of new characters that are thrown into this book, and some of them you think could end up being important down the line, but nothing ever really materializes with those characters, like a few of the Order of the Phoenix. I agree with Nathan that it's not my favorite book. I see why it is essential for the plot development, but my biggest thing with the book is I'm frustrated the entire time because no one's telling Harry anything. And then I always expect there to be a really good reason for that. And I'm not satisfied with the reason at the end. So those aspects of the book are a bit troublesome for me. We can talk about this more when we get into it. But I think the reason why
0: Harry doesn't get enough information, it's not a plot reason. It's more of a, I mean, there is a plot reason. But it's more of a thematic reason that J.K. Rowling is choosing to put in there to show the divide between the kids and the adults kind of like what i was saying earlier and harry not being given this information shows that dumbledore and co are, are considering him a child when re- in reality they are kind of growing up so i agree that it's frustrating to read but i think there is a reason for it well yeah there's a definitely reason behind harry not knowing everything but i just feel like to harry if harry is the chosen one and Dumbledore knows and everyone knows that he has to fight Voldemort, then why isn't Dumbledore helping him along in this book? He just blatantly just ignores him through the majority of the book. And he admits that he made he admits that it's a mistake by the end in their yeah. in their final parting conversation. Well, just throughout like the beginning of the book, like the meeting that they have and Molly Weasley being that protective parent, I guess that mother figure just not wanting Carrie to know what's going on and different stuff like that. I just feel like at this point, Harry's, like, he's beaten Voldemort. Like, he's, to a degree, like, he fought against Voldemort. I feel like he should know what's going on so he can prepare better.
1: What makes it confusing for me is the transition from the end of the fourth book where we just left off where Dumbledore was basically revealing everything and it seemed like he had realized his mistake in sheltering Harry a little bit and you got the feeling that Dumbledore accepted Harry as well not his equal but that he was going to be part of this war currently and obviously in the future and so that was what was disappointing because all of a sudden we start the fifth book and everything is just shut off again and even more so
0: Mm. yeah that that's a good point the transition between fourth and fifth and obviously Harry Potter would Agree with your frustration, with your guys' frustrations here.
1: Yeah, I learned the term caps lock, Harry. I don't know if you guys have heard that term before, but no. it's when Harry is just, when he just goes on full vent mode. Normally it's to Ron and Hermione, but yeah, it pops up in other situations as well. Does he get
0: all caps in the text? It it, it it is, right? There's a few times? Yeah, there's a few times where it gets all caps when he's getting mad for, I mean, he's just... Blatantly getting mad at Hermione and Ron for he just gets mad at them for not telling him what's going on, why they're there and like not writing letters to him. And he I, I'm pretty sure it yeah. full full caps there.
1: And there might be a moment later with Umbridge, too. I think those are the two two times.
0: So and and we'll talk about this more. I will say this book has, I think, the most laugh out loud moments for me. Oh, do tell uh let's get into it let's actually get into the plot and i'll tell you when those when those times are and it also has the single like stupid grin moment the the biggest moment for me when i was reading it i got the the stupid grin on my face because something was happening uh very very triumphant and funny at the same time and this happens to me sometimes when i'm reading something way into it and i just like can't stop smiling is it weasley is our king is that, yeah, is it's that honestly, yeah <laughs>
1: that's, that's the correct oh, yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an actual grin. It's not just a grin in your mind. No, yeah. Like I like
0: I can't wipe the smile off my face as I'm reading what's happening.
1: Oh, that's good. You you really immerse yourself.
0: Yeah, very, very solid moment. There's a few moments like that in the Stormlight Archive as well for fans of that series where, where that happens. And um, yeah, it, it's always fun to, to get into it enough to the point where you're at the stupid grin moment. Is it like the unity part? Is that the part we're referring to? No, Dan doesn't know. Dan doesn't know for (laughs) listeners. He's trying to throw stuff out there. So before we start the plot, if you like Phantology Books, check us out online at www.phantologybooks.com on social media at Phantology Books. Join our Discord. Invites are everywhere on our social platforms and on our posts and join there and let us know what you think, what books you'd like us to cover, what we missed, what theories you have, etc., etc. All walks of fantasy fandom are welcome there. And if you'd like to support Phantology, we have a Patreon with several different tiers and benefits that are worth checking out. We have a cool merch shop with
1: some very unique designs. Some, yeah, some you cool guys have some good stuff on there. I was checking this week. Yeah, I actually just bought one of the shirts. Which one?
0: It says Tolkien and... Jordan and GRRM and Brando. It's like that that type of style. That'll be here soon. I'll be wearing that in a future uh, episode. Looking forward to that. Based on how it looks on, on you, I might cop one. Yeah, probably an easy choice. I think a lot of people will be into that. And then finally, worth mentioning is we have a partnership with Audible. If you're interested in starting a account there, check that out for a free trial book. So let's get into the plot now that I'm done plugging phantology so harry potter harry potter once again spending another terrible summer at the dursleys he's hanging out in the bushes in the the flower bushes here and trying to get a get a glance on what the news is he gets in trouble here um he ends up like having this encounter with dudley and his friends dudley's all buff now and he likes boxing and he is going to get into punching harry
1: he was just this super gluttonous kid that you kind of felt bad for and now he's like full on delinquent yeah, status, yeah. like roughing it up with the neighborhood gangs.
0: I mean what he's he's 15, is Dudley's a little bit older? Or are they the same exact age? I think they're the same age, aren't they? Yeah, he's like late teens, so I think that's believable. Like he's kind of like always been the chubby kid that, and then he turns it into muscle and he becomes like the
1: star defensive end on the football team or something. And oftentimes you see that with really privileged kids that never have any discipline. They go try. Trying to create their own structure, like their own groupings, like in gangs and stuff. I've heard this theory. I don't know. Sure.
0: Yeah, D- Dudley. Maybe not. Maybe not a gang banger yet, but he's maybe, he's going maybe down a, a, maybe a darker I'm, path. I'm
1: just using J.K. Rowling's words. He says it's a gang. Anyway,
0: Dudley, Dudley is not as tough as he looks. He, he's gonna have some Dementors sicked on him. Dudley demented and Harry is able to use magic to defend himself and his cousin, fight off the Dementors, but this is way bad because you're not allowed to use magic if you're Harry and you're 15 well, magic years old. In front of a in front of a muggle. Well, and he's also underage, so it's it's a bad thing regardless. Well, the main thing that he gets in trouble for is using it in front of a muggle. And for breaking the underage magical policy, so it's so like a double foul here. But initially, a bunch of owls come in and they swoop in with all these conflicting he messages. Gets, he gets expelled. Yeah, the first one is like, you're expelled immediately, Harry. And then he gets some more that are like, Arthur and Dumbledore are trying to sort things out, stay where you are. And then eventually it's like, okay, just just hang out here for a little bit, Harry. We're not going to tell you anything, but believe that people are helping you.
1: Yeah, my latest read, I never realized that he has to wait for three days. Like they just leave him here with, without any counsel at the Dursleys just in his room for three days. And then when they do show up with that whole squad of Order of the Phoenix, nobody really tries. I mean, Tonks maybe tries to comfort him a little bit, but everyone else just like talks about him like he's not there. Like, oh yeah, he does look like James. And there's no feeling at all towards Harry during this part about what he's going through. Harry's
0: super alone. He's super alone throughout the entire book. And you see that as all of the familiar things are kind of stripped out of his life like Dumbledore gets taken away out of his own volition. And then he eventually leaves the school. Hagrid is gone quite a bit. McGonagall when she gets taken out towards the end. I mean, he always has his, his friends, but then he distances himself from them at the same time. Like he's, he's super alone. He's obviously pretty depressed and he's got some PTSD from the whole thing with Cedric. And honestly, like I understand a little bit more why he's so moody and it makes a lot of sense. Well, why not send like a familiar face like Fred and George, with the auras to? Man, Fred and George, Fred and George are not qualified to do this. They, I mean, they did it illegally once, <laughs> but they're they're not they're not auras. But, but send Tonks and, and Mad Eye Moody, who's I mean, he's probably seen
1: like once. So he sends Lupin. Lupin is there. It says that he's immediately wary of Mad Eye Moody because he doesn't even know the guy. Yeah, right. or he
0: he doesn't know Tonks. I mean, he only knows Lupin, and it's not like Lupin's talking to him. He talks to him a little bit, and Tonks is like way cool and friendly. I'm okay with this. Yeah, Tonks know. is
1: really cool. She's really close in age to him. Or why not send Sirius? Oh, because you can't let Sirius leave Grimald Place.
0: Yeah, that's the whole thing with Sirius. He's been locked up in kind of a, the similar way that Harry has, and that's the that that's the parallel that is established throughout the book between
1: both of them. They're both kind of in prisons in different ways. So speaking of Tonks, I always wondered, because, you know, she can like change her appearance and whatnot. The the word yeah. is escaping me right now. Met- metamorphid That is. Metamorphogist. something like that. That's the word I'm looking for. I spent a long time pondering the, the extent of this power. And I learned on, I can't remember, it was Pottermore or something. I learned that you can change your gender and your appearance and your age. Seems like a really cool power, but it's a side note.
0: Yeah. Gender, a little ironic based off of Rowling's current uh, social problems, but we're not going to go into that. Anyway, they are going to fly off to Grimald Place, which is a new setting for us. It's a fun setting. It's a house that doesn't even, it's like not on the map. No one can find it unless you're specifically told about it. In order to get in, they hand Harry this piece of piece of parchment that he reads and then it appears to him and he goes in, meets up with Sirius and his friends and everyone else. So finally, he's like kind of home again. This is basically replacing like the trip to the borough that he usually takes. But Harry's not happy this time. Like he, He's way upset and he's still not being told any anything. Sirius wants to tell him stuff about what's going on, but everyone else is sheltering him and just giving him like real vague hints. Yeah, and that's when we get Caps Lock Harry. Yeah, that's the first time when he blows up on on Harry, or when he blows up on Ron and Hermione for not riding him, and he looks at their hands, which have been pecked by Hedwig, because he's told Hedwig to to keep on pecking at them until they they respond to him, and he gets this like kind of perverse satisfaction of, of seeing how uh, they've been injured. I, did, I thought it was funny how Fred and George yeah, have the extendable ears, trying to get a get into the meeting yes the extendable ears are fun fred and george have a lot of new fun things they've used the thousand galleons from harry's Triwizard tournament winnings really well so far they're like well on their way to establishing their side hustle they've got a few products in uh in like beta mode that they're ready to start using with human testing yeah right yeah, away human testing right throughout away. the book <laughs> Yeah, wizards are not mindful of safe testing practices. There's no FDA there. Whatever
1: the acronym is for that. Yeah, so this is kind of our first exposure to the Order of the Phoenix, the adult side of it. Well, I guess the adult side is the only side. And I'm not very impressed with the Order of the Phoenix, how it's run at the beginning, the organization. It seems like they have these meetings, but And they're like top secret, but they're kind of old school because they're just in person. Like there's meeting in this room and really the only purpose of the meeting seems to assign the schedule for who's going to be the lookout for this thing that we don't know what's going on. And there are Mm. a few liaisons that are doing other undercover missions and we get a lot of names thrown out. Like we know Kingsley Shacklebolt, he's respected, he's in, he works for the ministry and whatnot. We get a few other names, but... I wanted to know more of the specific strengths and weaknesses of each of these individual witches and wizards so that maybe they could come up in future battles and oh, whatever the guy Diggle, whatever his name, maybe he's defeated because he had a weakness in transfiguration or because you get the idea when all the kids are going through Hogwarts that they're better at different classes, which makes sense. It's the same in the muggle world. So I I wanted to know a little bit more about these characters that are going to be part of Harry's life now. Yeah, that'd be fun if we had some like wizarding
0: stats on everyone. Like, oh, this guy's got five stars on Transfiguration. This guy's like only a three on The
1: Wizards. Yeah, yeah. We'll just throw it on to the uh, Chocolate Frogs cards, like on the back. You can have attributes and ratings sure. and things. A short biography.
0: The Order is super reactive. They're not proactive at all about trying to stop Voldemort. Right now, they're just, like, guarding and waiting for them to do something so they can counterstroke. But it's disappointing that they have, like, zero plan of how to actually, like, chase these guys down and stop them. Other than, you know, let's protect Harry and get at something that we don't know. And Dumbledore is obviously not giving out enough information to anyone.
1: And it seems like, well, they they try to recruit the Giants and the Dementors, but I think they all know that that's not... That's not a super realistic goal. I think they just they try for the sake of it. I mean, Hagrid gets Hagrid gets kind of close, I guess. Yeah, that's true. He gets
0: grub. I think it, it just all comes down to Dumbledore not telling them enough information for them to plan out a nice like attack. Like, why did Dumbledore not tell everyone about the Horcruxes? I mean, I understand keeping Harry the Horcrux secret. But why not t- tell them that, I mean, maybe he doesn't know quite yet because he doesn't have the ring yet. He's still kind of exploring that whole vein. But maybe he could have involved everyone else in that as well. I feel like Harry, he, Dumbledore knows because he he knew about the diary, right? He's had to figure out since he suspects, then. He suspects. I don't think he has anything confirmed quite yet.
1: My theory is that in his leave of absence, when he gets sacked or whatever that he spends that few weeks or month or something in his understanding of the cruxes develops quite a bit during that time.
0: So even though the order is a little disappointing, Grimald place is pretty cool. And Harry does allow himself to have a little bit of fun during some cleaning that has to happen at Grimald place. We you a creature who is kind of darkly funny. Like this is a real dark demented house elf That's also kind of, funny and lovable in his own way Harry gets some background on Sirius he learns about his family I like the black family tapestry I think that's cool it's funny it's, it's yeah. interesting how Sirius has blasted off the tapestry and Harry really connects with Sirius even more because both of them are totally outsiders in the world that they want to be in like Harry Potter so famous he's the chosen one and everything but at the same time he's so alone and can't relate to anyone and Sirius is the same way Having been cast out of his family without all of his friends. Now, I mean, he's around them, but at the same time, he's not. So I really like the parallels between Harry and Sirius. And that makes it all the more heartbreaking when Sirius dies at the end. I, I think the Black family tree is super interesting because like, you have Tonks and Malfoy. And the, and the Malfoys are on there and, yeah. the, and the little strangers. Yeah. It's just like the pure blood, pure blood line.
1: Yeah, you get like some incest vibes from the for the pureblood pure blood lines. Like everyone's related eventually. The
0: other thing they learn is that there's some kind of secret
1: weapon that Voldemort is going for.
0: And Sirius wants to tell Harry more, but everyone else sh- shouts him down. And so that's all we know right now. And it's hard to like think back and say like, oh, what do you think the secret weapon was? But in your reread, like was it clear at all? Like what the secret weapon could have been? Was it just like super vague? I wasn't really satisfied with this whole secret weapon
1: thing. No, it wasn't clear at all.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was like some like muggle weapon that I don't know that was enchanted somehow or. I mean, it's not supposed to be clear, but at the same time, the idea of Voldemort going after some kind of secret weapon seems kind of strange. Like what more does Voldemort need? Like what what, what would the secret weapon even be? I mean, I guess like the Elder Wand, the Elder Wand becomes a bit of a secret weapon, but that's not till later.
1: I was thinking back to the Sorcerer's Stone that on my very first read back in 2003, mm. whenever, I thought that it was going to be something similarly similar in power to that, but maybe like in a ring version. I don't know if that was around the time of Lord of the Rings, but that might've been on my mind. Lord of the Rings movies,
0: I'm assuming since the books have been out since the 60s. Oh, has 60s. it? <laughs> Yeah the the books are kind of old so that's that's not a new thing. And the books are way old. <laughs> so Harry is now put on trial. So he's got to go to the Ministry of Magic with with uh, Arthur Weasley. I think Sirius wants to go but again is denied the privilege.
1: This is cool to see the Ministry
0: for the first time.
1: Yeah, and it's it sets you up for the for everybody congregating back in the Ministry at the end. So you already at the know end. the basic yeah. setup. Exactly.
0: That's true. It wouldn't really work to have them show up at the end for the big fight because you'd be like, okay, the big fight is happening. It's also this new location. So we've got a lot of explaining to do it. Just be like harder to write that all together. So it's nice to already have been introduced here. So then it can be reintroduced later real easily. Yeah. So when they get to the ministry, they're told right away that the time has changed. The time of the hearing has changed and they have to rush off. So they're late to the trial, which is embarrassing and then Harry's kind of getting
1: grilled. Wait, is it that embarrassing? Aren't they expecting him to show up late? Isn't that why they did it? Well, that's why, but it's embarrassing for Harry and it looks bad. Yeah. I don't think he's worried about being embarrassed at this point. I think he's just scared to death of getting expelled or like punished Well, I order. mean like think of like the levels of anxiety that you would have going into this trial
0: and then to be told also you're late and everyone's already there and this is going to look even worse
1: on you and it's it's the entire How do you pronounce Wizen? Wizengamot, Wizengamot, yeah, yeah. Everyone's there. It's a full they're they're fully
0: um, arraigned here, if that's the right word. And this is actually the same place where Harry saw Barty Crouch being tried in the pensive in the previous book. So it's weird that an, a simple case of underage magic would have this level of scrutiny placed upon it Yeah.
1: yet another case of how in the world do ministry employees that are higher up have so much time to deal with stuff like this <laughs> there, are there no other problems well i guess there aren't if you ignore all the real problems and that's what they've
0: chosen that's what crouch has chosen to do and he's pl- he's just pinning everything on harry and dumbledore fudge you mean fudge fudge yeah i mean fudge crouch is dead see it crouch <laughs> Yeah, crouch, both both crouches are, are uh, dead. Well, one of them's been demented kissed but you know what I mean. Anyway, the uh, the trial happens. It's not going well, and Dumbledore shows up, thank goodness, and you think, okay, Dumbledore's going to show up. It's going to give Harry a nice heart-to-heart. It's all going to be okay. But he doesn't even look at Harry at all, and he just comes in and, and just owns all of the Wiz and Gamond and gets Harry, uh, gets Harry off scot-free and then takes off. So it's like, what... Are you doing Dumbledore? What is this? I thought it was really funny when Dumbledore comes in and they asked him, like, hey, did you get the note saying that the child was moved up? And Dumbledore was like, I did, but luckily I got here like two hours early. It's like Dumbledore, what are you doing there for two hours? Oh, interesting. He's prepared or maybe he's maybe he's doing some snooping in the Department of Ministries, perhaps? Or mysteries, Department of Mysteries, perhaps?
1: Yeah. Even though he doesn't look at Harry, which is annoying again. I mean, if Dumbledore hadn't shown up, then Harry's getting expelled. And we don't even get a a fifth book. So it's it's a good thing that he showed up. I mean, he did a good job. He brought in a witness, which Harry probably didn't even know was possible. But then Dumbledore takes like a 500-page break from doing anything productive until he fights Uh at the very end. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. He brings in Mrs. Fig. Mrs. Fig is a squib who's always been placed next Harry. It's cool because it's someone that we've heard about in previous books. And then she's on camera and she's actually important
1: to the plot. So that that's a nice foreshadowing. Nice, nice little twist there. It makes you wish that in the doldrums of the summer when Harry is wallowing in sorrow at Privet Drive, that maybe Mrs. Fig could have invited him over. And they could have said it was a punishment or something like they could have put forth this illusion that mrs fig was really mad Mm -hmm. at harry and i think the dursleys would have bought into that and mrs fig says oh i harry has to come and do chores for me and then they're like partying it up like maybe not even partying just having a a regular conversation could have been a nice having some some tea and crumpets or fish and chips or something
0: like that yeah he does. He does go over to her house several times when the Dursleys go on vacation. That's true. Oh, that yeah. Is that, true. that is a good point, actually. Well, she could have said something. I don't know. Well, but but she could. I mean, on Dumbledore's orders, she could.
1: Have, she was the sleeper cell there, embedded in uh, embedded in Privet Drive. Going back to Dumbledore not looking at Harry for a little bit, I think we learn a lot about how how much Voldemort hates Dumbledore. That. Mere eye contact can trigger Harry's Scar so bad, but there's no restrictions like this at all for other people that Voldemort probably feels antagonistic towards like mm. Voldemort knows Sirius from the first war. He knows probably other members of the order, like the Weasleys. Voldemort probably doesn't fear them at all. Honestly, like he does. Right. He doesn't think about them like he does Dumbledore.
0: Right. So it's, it's probably the fear or the insecurity that's triggering this emotional response. Well, that I, and I also feel like Dumbledore at this point is kind of either scared of Voldemort or doesn't know what's going on. And so I don't know, throughout the book, I just get this feel like Dumbledore doesn't want to be close to Harry. And they kind of explain this because he doesn't want Voldemort to know what Dumbledore is doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, now we're kind of ready to go off to Hogwarts. Although before we do so, we get the big reveal of who the, the prefects are. In the fifth year, we get prefects. I love this part. Yeah. And so the letters come in and the prefects are Hermione. No surprise. It's like you get one boy and one girl on each house that becomes the prefect. So Hermione, obvious in for prefect. So of the boy Gryffindors, you have Harry, obviously, Ron... Seamus, Dean, Neville. Neville, I mean, maybe like Seamus and like Seamus and Dean are never really under consideration, right? No. And Neville's Neville's certainly not. So I guess it's between it, it seems like so obvious that it should be Harry, right? But yeah. it's not. It's Ron.
1: But if the prefects were awarded in the sixth year rather than the fifth, then I think Neville's a shoe in. But that's not the case. Going into sixth year, Neville stepped up his game enough? I think so.
0: I feel like Neville stepped up his game enough in number four. I think it's still Harry. Harry's Harry's the most skilled wizard here. He's got to be the
1: prefect. I felt like it made sense why they wanted to relieve Harry of extra duties, though. That, that decision made total sense. Like, what does the prefect even do? Just make sure the rules are being upheld? Like, Harry has other more important things to worry about. Yeah,
0: but I just feel like at this point, Harry's been left out all summer, and Harry just feels alone. We're just kind of rubbing Harry's nose in the dirt here by not awarding him prefect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That scene when they're on the train and then that awkward part where Ron and Hermione ditch him for the exclusive. Oh, yeah. That's rough. The exclusive part of the train. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I wonder wonder what happens there in the prefect. Is it really worth going to the prefect's cabin? Is it that much cooler?
1: I don't think it would because then you have inner house rivalries that.
0: Well, they probably went to go get like instructions from someone or. From the head boy and girl.
1: I doubt Ron wants to go there for any extended period of time if Draco's there.
0: Yeah, Prefect Cabin with Draco. That's rough. I mean, Harry probably would prefer to avoid that. I think it's annoying how much Harry wanted to be Prefect. Like, seems like he's got a little bit of of some insecurities here. He's got this, like, this compulsion to be the best. He thinks, I think it shows that he thinks he's better than Ron is, is basically what I'm getting out of this. I like that. I feel like he knows he's better than Ron. But that's kind of messed up. That's kind of messed up. He doesn't recognize that Ron has some something to bring to the table as well. But he doesn't. Ron doesn't add anything to the table.
1: But shouldn't you want to prop up your friends a little bit? Like Harry should be happy that Ron is getting this opportunity. Maybe it'll inject some confidence into him. Yeah.
0: I think it it, it for me, for me, this is a big this is a big negative for Harry. I can understand a lot of the emotions going into moody Harry to caps lock Harry, but the prefect thing I think is a lo- an L. This is a big L for Harry. A
1: big loss. Bad performance. Because, yeah, it's just the status too. I don't think it's any of the actual duties that Harry is envious of. It's all just he wants the recognition.
0: I don't think he wants the recognition. I just think that he wants to be included because he's been excluded all summer. I think it's all about the badge. Goes, he, no, because it goes on throughout other books as well. That he wants, he wants, be he wants to be the best. He wants to be the top Gryffindor boy, and Ron, poor little Ron, with no money and and very little magical ability, is the prefect instead. And Harry doesn't like that. No, because Harry doesn't <laughs> want the title. He, he just wants to be included in something because he doesn't. know. it goes on. Later, to Harry rants several times that he doesn't want to be the chosen
1: one. I think Harry does win some friend points back later when his friend Ron is going through his just totally embarrassing Quidditch struggles. And he offers to lend some help and tries to talk him up. I mean, that's good. That That's like an obvious thing that you should do. He's going through a lot.
0: All right, so let's go off to Hogwarts. So on the Hogwarts Express, we talked about this. Uh, Ron and Hermione ditch him for their prefects, for their for their little exclusive club. And Harry hangs out with Ginny and Neville and this new person named Luna Lovegood, Looney Lovegood, who's reading this weird quibbler magazine upside down with spectroscopes on or, or these whatever those glasses are called.
1: So Luna is such a cool character. I know. I got to mention... Well, you were talking about how there's a lot of funny parts. One of the hilariously savage parts is when uh, she identifies Ron. Well, oh, they're talking about the prefects is what it is. And they say Padma is the prefect for Ravenclaw. Uh Uh-huh. Luna just says right away with no feeling or emotion. She says, that's who you went to the Yule Ball with and she didn't have a good time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, thank you, Luna. Because, oh, Harry and Ron. They were awful at the Yule ball. I feel so bad for the Patel twins. yeah, so so we're we're meeting Luna and this is kind of fun. we this is a good intro because later on the quibbler is gonna be important and Luna is an important character. And then when we get to Hogwarts, there are these new this new addition to the previous Canon comes up when rather than the characters being pulled by invisible horses, Instead, they're now visible and they're these like skeletal kind of ugly flying things. And Harry doesn't know what they are. It's going to be revealed later, but they're, they're called Thestrals. And you can only see them if you've uh, if you've killed or if someone has died in front of you.
1: Yeah. And you obviously know that they're going to play a role somewhere down the line in the book. But it was cool that it was something that you thought you understood from previous books. And then there's this new twist.
0: Yeah, this is good. She's done it. Rowling has done enough in the previous books to now make some of these twists, even though they're small things. They're fun to read about. When we get to Hogwarts, Hagrid's gone. We have Grubbly Plank back teaching Carrot Magical Creatures. Again. Very underrated, Grubbly Plank. Very competent teacher. <laughs> Very competent teacher, but like zero swag, right? Is that a requisite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be swaggy
1: if you want to be a Hogwarts professor. I'm recognizing a lot of teachers that are lacking in swag, like Professor Bins, just because he's a ghost.
0: <laughs> he's super boring. I, I agree
1: with you on McGonagall. I imagine Professor Vector has some.
0: Yeah, Professor Vector's probably got tons of swag. No swag in like Professor Sprout.
1: No, no. Professor Sprout does. She's cool. I like Professor yeah, Sprout. Yeah, she's kinda she's kinda low key, really, really cool. Madam Hooch is really cool. Like Professor Snape in his own right, like he has his own thing going on. Flitwick. Flitwick's got a thing. He, he's a good teacher. Yeah, but Grubbly Plank is just so
0: boring. We know like nothing about this professor.
1: All I'm trying to say is clearly Grubbly Plank is superior to Hagrid. That's what I was getting as at. As
0: far as actually teaching, yeah, that, that's there, there's no doubt there. Yeah. So in addition to Grubbly Plank, we have a new faculty member, one Dolores Umbridge, one of the most hated Hogwarts characters, even more so than Voldemort. I think big Hogwarts fans would say their number one most hated character is in fact Umbridge.
1: Which makes her a really good villain.
0: Yeah, she's one yeah. of the best villains of the series. Yeah, Phantology did a Best Villains Twitter poll competition a couple months ago, and Umbridge was on the winning team. A top three villains. I don't remember what they all were, but Umbridge was on there. I was I was reading something the other day preparing for this, and Stephen King said that uh, Umbridge was one of the best villains that he's seen in literature. Okay, Stephen King, someone who's written a lot of villains. Yeah. A lot of villains.
1: It's just because her, the source of her villainy is, it's really unexpected in her physical nature, starting with, like, you don't expect a grandmotherly character. What I should say this. I'm going to interrupt my own thought. I haven't seen the movies in a really long time because I like the books a lot more. And I kind of forgot what the actress that plays professor Umbridge looked like. And I realized like a few chapters into the Umbridge portion of the book that I was imagining Hillary Clinton kind of that's a sign. Okay. And then I remembered and then I saw, and then I saw a picture of the actress and I remember how good of a job the actress does. I don't know her name. It's cool. Cause she dolls herself all up and she wears the cardigans. It talks a lot about the cardigans in the book. Uh-huh. But then she's just uh-huh. ruthless. And you find out later that she sent the dementors after Harry, Yep. So she's straight up evil.
0: I'll say one pushback on Umbridge being a great villain is I really like villains that are more dynamic, more gray where you get their backstory a little bit. Like you realize the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. They're not just straight up evil. Like they, maybe they got some good things about them. They're conflicted nature type things, but Umbridge is just straight up like a servant of the ministry and does everything they tell her to do. And is extensively ruthless, almost to the point where there's like never any redemption possible for her. And typically I prefer prefer villains that I can like maybe get behind like at least a tiny bit and understand what they're doing. So do you guys know about her backstory? Uh, I I do not.
1: No, you know stuff from Pottermore? It mirrors voldemort's a little bit i don't know where i know this from i just know this but it's not in the books it's jk rowling released it later her so she's a half blood and it's kind of similar she it's a self-loathing thing like she resents the half side of her so much and tries to shun mm-hmm. it which makes sense yeah the, with all of her you know like half creature things yeah because it mentions that she passed the legislation that was anti is it werewolf or vampire yeah. or something Anti-werewolf. Oh yeah, it was anti-werewolf because... Because Lupin knows. Yeah. So that's a little bit of her backstory, but we could use more for sure. Oh, and then also the
0: Sorting Hat has a new song that it sings, inviting the students to um, maybe cautioning them against being too internally divided and wanting more unity in these trying times. I think it's a really, really relevant message. Maybe something that should be sung on Twitter at the beginning of every day, like everyone's got to listen to these types of messages, but it's maybe like not super effective.
1: And some might say that Twitter does t- try to control everything that we consume. So it's possible that they could force us to listen to songs, compel our <laughs> speech or something. I'm not going to lie. I skip over all the songs, not only for Harry Potter, but other fantasy books, whenever they pop up, whenever there's Ooh. like an italicized stanza of stuff, I always just, Skip over it.
0: That's a poor decision that's in general.
1: A of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that
0: that's a big weakness. Because this is a solid song, so maybe she'd go back and read this one. I will. It's got some good stuff in it. So as the school year starts, all of the classmates, all of Harry's classmates are once again wary of him whispering about him behind his back. They've been reading the Daily Prophet stories all summer long. And again, the school is entirely against him. This is nothing new. Harry's once again shunned by everyone who should be his friends. So you always kind of feel bad for Harry as far as his status with his peers. Harry tries to ignore this, concentrate on studies, because they have to take their OWLs this year. Fifth year is a big year. This is like the really tough year in grad school. This was my second semester in grad school was the super hard one. We're preparing preparing for the big exams at the end, and you don't really have much of a social life. So this is a big thing that, they, that they're that they working on. Classes are harder than usual. And unfortunately, in one of their classes in Defense Against the Dark Arts, which Umbridge is teaching, they're not learning anything. The ministry is censoring their curriculum and not allowing them to actually do any magic. They just like learn about the theory. And then if they learn enough theory, they'll be able to do the magic. Great. And this is just a bunch of hogwash. And we don't right. like this. Right.
1: Harry and Hermione, you wish that they could find a balance because in previous books, you're a little frustrated that there doesn't seem to be any structure in the curriculum. And you're thinking of some classes that are ineffective, but then they like the ministry overcorrects basically and clamp down. And now it's too much structure. Well, I guess there's not too much structure, but it just basically sucks because they're not allowed to actually learn anything that they can use.
0: Yeah. And it gets to a point where another a Harry moment where he just gets completely completely berserk against Umbridge. Yeah. Harry loses it. And as a result gets detention. And this is a sadistic detention because he has to write, I must not tell lies. And as he writes the lines, it appears in his hand, which is kind of a, I mean, maybe not cool, but it's a,
1: it's a unique and uh, it's, it's a really nice strike against Umbridge as a villain. And it links her to Voldemort too, because she is the only other person besides Voldemort that scarred him. Mm, I like that. Oh, that was an aha moment for you two. I <laughs> just shed some light on. The blood quill.
0: Yeah, but she also does it to other other people as well.
1: I was just really stressed. I don't know if I don't empathize too much with hand pain, I guess. But I was way more concerned during the detention about Harry having his precious homework time taken away because that is really emphasized in the beginning of year number five, how hard the OWLs are going to be and how all of the workload is being ramped up by all the professors. And Harry and Ron seemingly are staying up till like past midnight every night in the common room, just trying to keep their head above water. So I am like, man, Harry's struggling enough and he's got to go to detention every night. It's not, not Quidditch that he's missing. Yeah, and missing Quidditch. And Angelina's on his case.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Angelina's now in charge of Quidditch. There's tryouts for a new keeper since the legendary Oliver Wood has left. And Ron, one Ronald Weasley, becomes the keeper. So
1: Ron's on the team now. Yeah, Weasley is our king. All the Gryffindors will sing. What are the reasons why they give? Because the report that they give of the tryout is overall underwhelming. But it's something like... They they saw potential in him, but there were other people that flew a little bit better.
0: Fred and George were on the team, and I feel just like his potential that he could be mm. as good as Fred, Fred and George. So is it kind of like a like a backyard sports thing? Like when you have those twins on your team together, they like power each other up. Oh, and they're better. Me
1: and Ashley Weber. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, thank you, Dan. Except for in this case, it works in the reverse because Fred and are just so ruthless that like Ron can't ever
0: progress <laughs> yeah Ron can never save a single ring when he is keeper for the majority of the season we also get a brief glance at Hermione carrying on SPEW this is a low point for Hermione that she just needs to kind of get past a little bit because she doesn't understand that the health selves don't really want to be free but she's still this like low-key cause person yeah, I thought it was pretty funny when she left out the stuff in the common room, like the hats, whatever she made. And then right. Dobby later explains that the health elves never want to clean the common room again. Yeah, and Dobby's, Dobby's just taking them all.
1: Ron, to his credit, challenges this. It's one of the only times when Ron says that Hermione's wrong and he's actually right. So props to him. So the school
0: year goes on, and Umbridge becomes the High Inquisitor, and she's slowly going
1: to power up with more and more abilities. Can we talk about the High Inquisitor name? Okay. Like, what is that name? Is that given to anyone? Like If you look at the history of people that have been titled the Inquisitor, that I don't know what I have to say about that. So this is
0: this kind of like links you to like the Spanish Inquisition.
1: Right. Or there is a there's some Inquisitors
0: in Wheel of Time that are these like religious zealots. There are Inquisitors in Joe Abercrombie's books. There are always these like super ruthless zealot type people. There, there There's Inquisitors in, in Star Wars as well that
1: work for Darth Vader.
0: Okay. And so I think it fits Umbridge's character. Right. Anyway, continue, Steven. This is all there's also a moment here where Ron gets a letter from Percy, another terrible character. I mean not a, not a terrible character, but a character making terrible decisions. Percy admonishes Ron to stay away from Harry Potter, who is dangerous. Percy's all in in the ministry as well. He's gotten even more obnoxious. He was kind of trending this way in previous books, but this is really low for Percy. He also shows it in during the trial as well, siding with the Minister of Magic.
1: Yeah, it's a new level of low. His letter that he writes is just so passive aggressive. And he's clearly trying to force Ron to pick sides. So we go
0: on and rather than stick with this whole ridiculous Defense Against the Dark Arts thing, Hermione gets Harry to form their own group, the DA group. And she gets him to be the leader because he knows the he's the best at Defense Against the Dark Arts. And so they have this low-key meeting at the Hogshead, which is a terrible location to start your secret club. Like this should have been... I don't know where this should have been, but it should not have been at the Hogshead because um, it's not too hard to spy on this. I think... Who's who's spying? Someone is... I think it's Mundungus Fletcher. Is there like... Yeah, Mundungus. So Mundungus knows about this. I guess none of the bad people know about the formation. So maybe it's not... Maybe I was overly... um, uh, negative on the formation of the da group i mean it does come back to bite them a little bit with the, like the drunk guy or whoever that told Umbridge. Mm. There, there's a person that told Umbridge that they all met together and then a couple weeks or days later she passes the uh the rule that the students can't form together
1: she outlaws groups right away Right. I'm forgetting that little detail now.
0: Imagine if COVID was a thing when Ombridge was in power. She would be so pumped for COVID. She could just lock everything down.
1: That's yeah. like a good point. So <laughs> I liked the scene in the Hogshead a lot. I like it whenever there's a group of adolescents that are trying to form their own group or government together. And you get to see how the hierarchies kind of organically form. And an interesting thing that we find out is when Harry's telling his story, that most people just because they've gotten all their information from the Daily Prophet and he hasn't had any kind of platform to share his story or the extent of the things he's learned or his powers, that people are legitimately impressed by this. And it's Harry's first positive moment with other students besides Harry and Ron and Neville. I said Harry, Ron, Neville. I meant Hermione, Ron and Neville. Yeah. I I just thought this was a really cool scene where you you have different houses that are coming together. No Slytherins, obviously. None of them choose to join in. Yeah, those scumbags. And, and of course, you have Cho in there, which is a, d- a dynamic that's constantly present in Harry's mind. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Yeah, so maybe they listen to the Sorting Hat a little bit here in uh, informing some unity, some inner house unity. And you also have, like, Luna sticking out for Harry after other people question him. Yeah, Luna's awesome. Luna, Luna's, one of, Luna's probably going to appear in my top three characters at the end of the podcast. So Harry's also trying to make contact with Sirius. He's, this is kind of like an ongoing thing, but the, the owl mail is being inspected. All the fires are being patrolled. Harry tries to talk with Sirius for a bit and then uh, Umbridge's hand appears in the fire and tries to grab him. So slowly more and more things are being shut off from Harry, but the DA actually forms in the room of requirement and this becomes Harry's outlet going forward and the room of requirement is cool i really like this idea that you can't really find it unless you're you know you have the need need
1: for it. so i know that you guys have what what's the phantology contest right now the top three artifacts
0: yeah it's top three artifacts going on right now
1: is room of requirement considered an artifact what's the size what's the size of a artifact
0: Artifacts are super ambiguous. You, if you really wanted to push a room requirement, it could maybe work, but i prefer more like a tangible object that you can hold in your
1: hands or something. Because you guys did mention the Marauders map, which I thought was really cool.
0: Uh-huh. There's a lot of cool artifacts in Harry Potter. Yeah. We have the first Quidditch match. Uh, we start off against Slytherin this year, and they all wear these Weasley as our king badges, kind of like the Potter sucks badges. Potter stinks. Potter Stinks is funnier than Potter Sucks. I don't know why. Yeah, my, my bad. Pot- Potter Stinks. Potter Stinks. So this year, the badges say Weasley is our king, and they're all mocking Ron. Ron performs terribly, but Harry bails him out by catching the snitch really fast. And then at the end of the match, there is some... The teams are kind of getting into it a little bit. Some technical right. fouls are issued. There's some ejections. Some fines come down. Some suspensions even. And actually, the suspensions are so bad that Harry is kicked off of the
1: team by Umbridge for going after Malfoy. Yeah, Harry and Fred and George,
0: they're all off the team.
1: And it seems like Fred and George don't care that much. Like, they know their future is not really in Quidditch. Probably a little bit sad that they don't get to finish off their their storied careers.
0: Fred and George have so much swag in this book. They don't care at all about what happens this year at school because they know they've got it made with Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes, so they don't even have to try and they have a real good time this year. Yeah, they don't care about anything. The whole book, Hermione tries to stop them from testing stuff on students. Yeah, yeah Hermione's <laughs> pitiful efforts to corral Fred and George. They don't care. They set off, I mean, these torture umbrage the whole book. Yeah, I want to talk more Fred and George later when they really shine towards the end on, on their big exit. Yeah, this this is some of my funniest parts in the whole series.
1: So now Hagrid returns. We have to talk more about the Weasley as our king and just the level of organization. Say what you want about the Slytherin house. I mean, and they they shut themselves off from the rest of, I feel like they're very elitist when they look at the other houses. But they, the level of organization that it took to not only... Um, make the badges, distribute the badges, have a coordinated theme song that everyone was able to uh-huh. play at the same time. Uh-huh. I can't see this level of coordination being executed successfully in the Gryffindor house. Well, are you forgetting? Are you forgetting Dumbledore's army, which has just been coordinated? That's not Gryffindor. Like they have. You get the idea that it's every single Slytherin, or do you think there are some people that in Slytherin that are have a heart and are sitting out of the song? No. There's no reason to suspect that any Slytherin has a shred of goodness in them. And then the impact of it is just exponentially even better after Ron's terrible performances. And the the momentum just builds in the Slytherin house. I I think out of all the books, maybe the high point for the Slytherin.
0: Okay, so moving past Weasley's our king onto Hagrid's triumphant, and not really triumphant, but Hagrid's return of sorts. And his tale for us about the Giants. Maybe this is something that you guys thought could have been cut from the book? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I didn't want to learn about Giants that have no relevance throughout the rest of the series.
1: Yeah, I didn't care about Grop. I didn't... I breezed through... I mean, Hagrid's dialogue is hard enough to follow as it is. Because it's written in the Hagrid style. I really skimmed through that part.
0: I thought it was fun to at least like see a different
1: setting and you
0: get like the giants are a new thing. It reminded me a little bit of the BFG when we're going around and fighting with, uh, you know, like Maneater and all those other uh, ridiculous roll doll giants. Maybe that's kind of what inspired this from
1: rolling a little bit. But I agree. It probably didn't need to be there, especially when the books already so long. Something that just popped into my head, by the way, that's not in the book. I just realized Peter Pettigrew's not in this book at all. After being such a key character in the fourth book, he is uh, maybe he did something to go down in Voldemort's trust circle. He's not in the final scene. He's well,
0: I don't know. Is he a good fighter? Do we
1: think he's a good fighter?
0: No, there's no reason to think that he's good at magic. I mean, he's good at exploding a bunch of muggles. Yeah, he exploded more than 10 people at once. That exploding could have been pretty useful, I think, in the in the battle. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think he's all that good, like, in casting spells and stuff like that. Even, I don't know, man. Like, he could turn into a rat and be, like, hidden somewhere and then turn into Peter Pettigrew and pop up right behind you and explode you. I think it could have been useful. I don't know. That's a good point, Dan. He was following James James around, like, the whole time he was at Hogwarts. James Potter and his... He's probably like in Sirius and Lupin was probably the only reason why Peter Pettigrew like graduated just because he's there helping him out. I think he's at least a competent wizard, but let's, let's go on here a little bit. So Jenny's replacing Harry as the seeker. And then we have the romantic moment where Harry kisses Joe yes. under the mistletoe. So, you know, points for Harry here. Some,
1: someone's romantic advances <laughs> are finally successful. Yeah, except for she's crying the whole time, and she's thinking about the hot guy that she used to date that died. <laughs> that died.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate circumstance. And <laughs> then the date that they go on as well. Yeah, we just yeah she we she cries she cries
1: more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, that date is so cringe. At the ridiculous Valentine's shop thing. It makes yeah when they go to, when they go to Hogsmeade and it makes sense because they're young it's it's young love and it's the idea of it and they're probably there's well on at least on harry's side there's probably a lot of physical attraction and it's like oh i know that she likes quidditch too and you don't think that show thinks that harry is attractive i don't think so is harry supposed to be
0: attractive he's got that like unruly hair a little bit and he's got to be fit
1: for playing quidditch right what how do you how does playing quidditch make you fit
0: you have to be able to balance on the broom hold on when extreme forces are. Your wrists are really strong it's a it's a core it's a core sport your core has to be strong so you can hold on to the broom and and make all the maneuvers correctly
1: yeah the maneuvers could be a little bit difficult i agree with that if you're doing some corkscrews or so so anyway harry's looking at cho right she's hot she's and Quidditch is probably smart because she's in Ravenclaw. But then when they actually spend time together, they realize that they have nothing to talk about. Uh-huh. Except for Quidditch for a few moments. Well, just, it's a rough. Really, just a really
0: low moment from Harry while they're on the date and he brings up Hermione. Yeah,
1: give a clue. I have to go talk with Hermione. <laughs> but also an overreaction from Cho. But yeah. you, you have to take into account this is this is the hot Hermione version we're talking about, like post-shrunken teeth. That's right. That's right.
0: Maybe. Yeah. So Nathan's probably going to now clamor that Harry should have been with Hermione and maybe this could have like been the beginning of that. Yes. Okay. So Harry, Harry shoots this shot a little bit with Cho. We didn't necessarily like it. Like way to go Harry, but at the same time, like probably could have been executed more in the future as well. The date was super cringe. The, The relationship in general was cringe. And the plot picks up again with some department of ministry. I keep on saying department of ministry, department of mystery dreams. And Harry's like walking down these corridors, all these dusty glass spears. He doesn't know what this means, but he gets this. I, I mean, later on, we get the idea that Voldemort is obsessed with this. And then one of these visions, Harry is inhabiting Nagini's body, the body of this large snake, Voldemort snake and attacks Arthur Weasley He wakes up and he, after like seeing Arthur, like bleeding out and dying and McGonagall takes him to Dumbledore right away. They're able to rally the portraits to rescue Arthur. And then everyone heads back to Grimmauld place. So like right in the middle of the typical school action, all of a sudden we're interrupted
1: and everyone just vacates Hogwarts because this has happened. But you get the idea that it's right around the holiday break anyway. It's around Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I was frustrated. Did you find it a little bit confusing why Harry was so convinced that he had actually somehow apparated to this location and then become the snake? Like he was so convinced that he himself was the one. And I get it. Like he was seeing through the eyes of the snake. So obviously there's something weird going on there. But I don't understand how. And Ron shook him and woke him up and stuff. But I was just frustrated like, "Harry, man, it's obviously not you." Yeah, it's like what magic could exist that would allow Harry
0: to actually become the snake physically? That in within Hogwarts, right? Where Apparating is not even possible. I think that's pointed out to him later. It he, is. He probably should have been able to piece that together.
1: As well as Ron says, Ron assures him that it couldn't have been him because yeah, like, he saw him having a fitful sleep for several minutes before he woke up.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like Harry has I mean he doesn't know everything about magic. So he, I, I mean, he just feels like he might have been able to do that just based off knowing what Voldemort's capable of or hearing stories.
1: But once again, so much of this could have been avoided had Dumbledore sat Harry down early on in the year. And granted, they don't have to make eye contact or whatever. But he says, listen, we have reason to believe that Voldemort may have an insight to your mind. That's why I have to ignore you this year. Pay attention mm. to that. And listen, we're going to start you on Occlumency from the very beginning of the year so you can actually right. learn it. And also, we're going right. to make sure that your teacher doesn't hate you the whole time and gives you tactics and tips on how to perfect it besides just telling you to do it. We can get into that later.
0: Yeah, uh, this is this is frustrating, right? And I think it's a lot of times in books, you just have the plot driven along by this misunderstanding and lack of communication. And that's kind of what this book is. This is a miscommunication plot, and it really kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes, this type of plot. Because it's just so frustrating. It's like, why don't they just talk to each other? If they just talk to each other like human beings, this could be solved. And sure, there's reasons not to, but there's also like lots of reasons why they could have. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. I didn't understand how Mr. Weasley survived. Like, why didn't Nagini just kill him? Why did he survive? It seemed like the only reason he survived was because this is still a kid's book and we can't have a snake killing the best friend, the, the father of your best friend. Like that's too dark. So actually in the original book that JK Rowling wrote, uh, he was supposed to die and she changed it after. Yeah. Okay. Because it, because she thought that was too dark maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to die by the snake. Hmm. I think he should have. It doesn't really make sense why he survived. I mean, I get that we don't want it to be this dark for kids, but at the same time, you got to either make him die or make it a little bit different. So there's a reason why he survived.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I just remembered, because Mrs. Weasley has a part at Grimald Place where she encounters a Boggart, and the art transforms into her loved ones that are dying. So I wonder if J.K. Rowling had written that in, anticipating that that would actually come to pass during this part and then that got taken out well i guess it does happen in the seventh book sure yeah
0: so speaking of arthur we go to a new location now this is saint mungo's hospital for maladies and something something it's got a fun name
1: jk rowling throws in a lot of. she injects a lot of humor into it the different wings of the hospital and the different ailments that can happen to in the wizarding world and Lockhart
0: is there, random, randomly Lockhart is there, having lost his memory. Shout out, Tenant, where Lockhart is the villain. and A very
1: versatile <laughs> actor.
0: Yeah. What's up, uh, Kenneth Bra or something like that? Bra- 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 I think Bra? so. Yes, anyway.
1: I think he's just in there to satisfy the people that maybe – J.K. Rowling knew there'd be fans that always wondered of Lockhart's whereabouts because he does nothing of consequence ever again. Yeah. Like, just so you know where he's at.
0: Yeah, little little easter egg for you. While they're at St. Mungo's, they use the extendable ears that Nathan talked about earlier to learn that there are some some rumors, some talkings about in the order that Harry could be possessed by Voldemort, which, which lends even more credence to Harry's fear, theory, whatever, that he could be taken over by Voldemort. So um, this is bad. We also see Neville and his parents, so we get some backstory there, which is going to be important. Neville becomes like the, the the symbolism between Neville and Harry, and the whole prophecy at the end, and his parents and everything. Like, there's some nice parallels there as well that that start to get established here. Also, a little bit later, Ginny and Harry have a like a heart to heart. I thought that was a good moment. Yeah, we're setting up Ginny as a little more versatile
1: character. Yeah, Ginny's is way good in this book.
0: After all of this, Dumbledore tells Harry that, you know, you have to take o- o- Occlumency. Occlumency. O- occlumency. Dumbledore tells Harry that I take Occlumency lessons with Snape and protect his mind. But he doesn't really communicate this very well, like Dan was hoping that he would. And so Harry's like, OK, oh, I'll do it. But he knows he's going to hate it. Can I resume my rant
1: on this? No, you already did your rant. Well, it's like so I teach math. It's like me showing a kid a calculus problem and saying do it do it just focus on it it's so frustrating because snape never gives harry any hints besides what it's supposed to look like he just says clear your mind yeah but presumably there are certain steps that one can consider when they're trying to clear their mind other than like if i know that i want to do something really complicated i need to have some kind of building blocks all right keep going
0: yeah, thanks for the rant, Dan. I think we all agree
1: that the uh, that the lessons here with
0: Snape are tough and don't really make a ton of sense. Sirius gives Harry this package and says, hey, if you ever need to get a hold of me, use the package, use this thing. And this is so heartbreaking because if Harry hadn't made up his mind right here, right right away he's like, I'm not going to do this because it's going to put Sirius in danger and I, I just won't do it. And if he had ever like considered Doing using it, it, it would have it would have saved the day entirely if he had used the magic mirror. Yeah. Way disappointing and, and tough, to, tough to swallow at the end when he pulls out the mirror. Hmm.
1: Nathan, did you cry during that part?
0: I mean, it was a hard moment, but I mean, the mirror does play effect in book seven for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true.
0: The shard of the mirror that remains. So the, the lessons are going terribly. Harry can't focus his mind. Uh, His scar continues to burn every time Harry time Voldemort is experiencing big emotions. And one such emotion is this like triumph when there is a mass breakout at Azkaban. The Daily Prophet reports it as a bunch of wizards rallying around Sirius Black and escaping. And amongst these are Bellatrix Lestrange. And this is going to set up the ending of the book here with, with this big breakout. You also have Ron's continued Quidditch foibles. Yeah, that, that, that's a thing throughout. Ron is uh, Ron's not going to get much better at Quidditch until the very end. The And then the other thing that happens is Umbridge, who's been observing more and more lessons, starts to really hone in on who she's going to fire. She really wants to fire someone. She's getting really power hungry, as if being High Inquisitor is not enough. And the rumors are swirling, and people are putting money down on if it will be Hagrid or Trelawney. And she's at every single lesson, so we're trying to figure this out. There's the Cho date disaster that we already talked about. And then the thing that really blows up the date is, is Harry running off to meet up with Hermione who has Rita Skeeter, which is fun because we saw her previously. Now she's kind of in a different role. She's still a writer, but she's going to write for the quibbler now and write this expose piece on Harry Potter, like Harry's story. And this is fun when it comes out the next day and everyone's reading it. And then Um, umbridge quickly throws out an order saying the quibbler is banned entirely
1: yeah and it does kind of restore your faith in the wizarding community that hey i might have misjudged all these wizards for just believing whatever the daily prophet said for not believing that voldemort had come back but really all it was was just a lack of information because they get this fan mail as soon as the quibbler article is released and you have wizards from all over some of them still not believing but some of them despite the lack of credibility that the quibbler has, some people are instantly believe that Voldemort is back. It makes sense because if you were a wizard that had lived through the first war and knew about the extent of Voldemort's power and how Mm -hmm. easily he could, he could uh, gather an army, how he could, Mm -hmm. how he could like basically wreak havoc on the entire world. Then I feel like you would err on the side of being like, all right, let's over prepare for this like if it is true. Like and there's so much weird information being circulated by the Daily
0: Prophet that you think the intelligent wizards would start to kind of see through what's going on here a little bit all this fake news. I mean, talk about relevance to today. Yeah, it turns
1: out when <laughs> when people only get exposed to certain things and
0: well, you got to think that a lot of these wizards went to uh, I mean, they went to Hogwarts. So they got to know who Dumbledore is. Yeah, you think there'd be a lot of loyalty to Dumbledore throughout the intelligent wizard community? I mean, I I feel like they would trust Dumbledore a whole lot more. So Trelawney is fired. Umbridge good. uses Trelawney to fire. See, uh maybe it's good, but also it's it's kind of sad when she like throws her down the stairs and and has her yeah. like all of her all of her stuff packed up and the whole school, the whole school is like watching
1: this happen. It is embarrassing and she says that Hogwarts is her home. But I think not only should Trelawney have been sacked, but the entire divination course should just be scrapped. I think it's this weird, like pseudoscience branch of the magical world. I don't see any evidence that any of the students in Divination, surely not Harry and Ron, have learned anything or applied anything from the class. And they've been in it three years now. So you so
0: you you side with Hermione who just instantly (laughs) The class is trash.
1: Yeah, you're you're a Hermione. I think it's just something that you have to be born with. What's the thing called that Cholania is born with that it like runs in her family, and it's the reason why sight. I think it's just called. She's sight. a steer.
0: She she has the sight. Yeah,
1: something like that. So if you don't have that, then don't waste time trying to learn to look in a crystal ball.
0: Maybe it's hard to determine. Yeah, it does seem like they could maybe get like more out of arithmancy rather than divination.
1: Like that should be the required class. And if so many of so many established wizards have come through the ranks of Hogwarts have taken divination, but none of them really seem to know what's going on in the future whatsoever more so than any muggle like I don't see any evidence that any members of the order of the Phoenix have used divination to to tap into Voldemort's plans or anything.
0: yeah, so divination is useless anyway we'll we'll see what's happening with the course. Going forward for now, we're going to have a centaur come in, which is going to please Umbridge a lot. Ferenz, Is that his name? Ferenz? Yeah, it, it, yeah. So, so he's taking up residence. He's not going up to the tower, the divination tower. That's, that's going to be hard for him to get all the way up there. So we're moving the class down to the ground floor. Trelawney can stick around because Dumbledore is vouching for her. And you realize, you, you learn why later on with the whole prophecy thing. The DA continues to meet... And people are showing some good improvement. It seems like this class is awesome, the Harry Potter class, until they're finally caught by Umbridge and the Slytherin squad. And Harry gets captured. They, they bring out the whole thing that everyone signed, and this is Dumbledore's army on it. And Umbridge is like, Ha, oh, we got you, Harry Potter. And then Dumbledore comes in and says, Actually, it was all my thing. I'm taking full responsibility. Look, it says right there, Dumbledore's army. You got me. And so he resigns, headmaster and takes off and they're going to take him in. Like they're going to arrest him. He has a sweet Dumbledore moment and escapes. And, uh, and I, I love the moment in the movie. This is a movie thing where, uh, where Kingsley is there and he's like, man, you know, you got to agree. Dumbledore's got some style. Well, that's also in the book. I don't think that exact line is. Well, not that exact line, but something like that is in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dumbledore's cool here. This is, this
1: is a good moment for Dumbledore. So he's still
0: on everyone's side, even if his communication skills
1: are not great. What did you guys think of the Dumbledore's army? It really struck me on this recent reread how much skills they were actually able to learn. It was quite impressive, the level of growth. It made me think if they had had a good Defense Against the Dark Dark Arts education from year one, how advanced they might have been able to be by this stage of their wizarding careers. It does seem like these are the most useful
0: spells to learn. And it's really a shame that they haven't had enough good education in this subject. Neville, I really like Neville throughout Dumbledore's army. He learns a lot. Yeah, we're, we're everyone's leveling up here. It kind of stinks. Maybe the Slytherins should be further behind because they haven't gotten any of these spells. That would have been cool to kind of have a sense of that. Like all the rest of the school is awesome now, but the Slytherins kind of stink it, uh, at powerful magic now. Yeah, and like Snape can't figure out why. Well, isn't the first spell that they do expel the armus? I think they they start there, but then they're learning to stun each other. They're doing patronuses by by the end.
1: The really annoying kid that I'm pretty sure is only in this book, Zacharias Smith. Yeah, that's always challenging everything. Uh huh. He challenges that, and uh, and then Harry quickly says, "Like I defeated the dark lo- or I uh-huh. neutralized uh-huh. the dark lord thanks to this spell." Uh-huh. It shuts him up.
0: I think every Harry Potter fan is with Zachary
1: Smith when they say, really, Expelliarmus is the spell you used against Voldemort? Like, listen, man, I actually, I know that I've gone toe-to-toe with the Dark Lord, but here's the thing, I really only know four or five spells, so we can't (laughs) jump to, like, the most (laughs) impressive one right away.
0: Yeah, we gotta start with Expelliarmus. (laughs) So the reason why they were captured is because Cho's friend, Marietta, was the sneak in the Centaur and the Sneak chapter, and she blabbed on the group. And as a result, she has pimples all over her face that spell out Sneak. This is super savage by Hermione to put this into the, not just something temporary, like bad acne across your face that says Sneak. That's rough, but but I like it. I, I like the savagery here. Doesn't she, like, she can't talk or something like that? She's just so ashamed. She doesn't want anyone to see her face. Oh, yeah. And then they ask her a bunch of questions. As a result of this, we now form the Inquisitorial Squad, which is basically the Slytherin Goon Squad, and they get special privileges. Fred and George, at this point, are completely done with school. They're just total degaff on Hogwarts, and they're going to oh, wreak wow. havoc. And their first order of business here is the fireworks that they set off everywhere, all over the Great Hall. Umbridge can't control them. No one helps. No one helps her. This is good, but it's going to get even better from them going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some more occulamacy. Dang. Occulamacy. Occulamacy. There's more occulamacy with Snape. And this is an important plot point because Harry gets into Snape's pensieve and sees Sirius and James and Lupin being total jerks to Snape. This kind of destroys Harry's image of them because that was always like who he wanted to be, but he sees them bullying Snape really savagely. And then he sees like Lily coming in and trying to help. And Snape's even rude to her. This is a real dark moment for Harry. Like as if Harry couldn't be in a worse place. Now, now, you know, the idol that he's always built up to his father is now tainted by this
1: memory. Yeah. My thoughts about the Pensieve is I really, really like this and not because it humanizes Snape at all, because I don't think any amount of pensive revelations can excuse the kind of crappy behavior that Snape exhibits year after year to people that are like 20 years younger than him. But what I like about it is it does change your idea of any time when you have a, a huge character twist like this and people who you thought might be good, like it challenges your preconceived notions. I really like that. And we don't learn everything about James and Sirius and all the marauders in this book, but you get the idea that you're going to more about their character will be revealed as the books go on. But this being your first real insight to James is really jarring because everything that you understand from other YA books leads you to believe that this person is going to be awesome. Like they died. Like normally people that die somewhat Mm -hmm. heroically, like you never find out anything bad about them. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that,
0: and plus, isn't in the third book, well, in the third book, they explain they played the prank on on Snape. That's true. Yeah, they talk about that. Uh, Sirius tried to, quote unquote, prank Snape by almost killing him with the Womping Willow trick. Yeah. Sending him in with the werewolf Lupin. And it's something that Harry struggles with, like how much like James does he want to be? There's a couple of times where Sirius says like, well, your father would have taken these risks that you don't want me to take. And Harry's like, well, do I really want to be him then? Cause it doesn't seem like responsible behavior. And so this is like the nail in the cop, not the nail in the coffin, but this is another like bad piece of evidence towards uh, James's legacy. Yeah. And then immediately Harry freaks out and he wants to talk to Lupin and Sirius about, about his dad. Yeah. yeah. Good lead. in. so Harry now has this real strong desire. He's got to talk to Sirius about this because he just cannot rectify this. The only way he can do this is getting into Umbridge's fire, and using the flu power yeah using flu power to stick his head into the fire and talk with Sirius. But to get in there, the only way he can do that is there's got to be some kind of distraction. And my man, my guys, Fred and George—you know who's coming—are going to provide. Yeah, they're they're down. They're always down for this. It's like this probably took zero effort on Harry's part to convince them to do this. So they turn. They turned some part. What part of the the Hogwarts is this that they turn into a portable swamp? I can't remember. It's a specific like wing or, or so. Anyway, they they unveil this new wizard wizard Weasley wizarding wheeze, which is a portable swamp, and it, it distracts everyone. This is actually after there's some career advice from Harry and McGonagall. Umbridge is sitting in on this and continues to interrupt McGonagall and Harry as Harry says he wants to be an Auror. and this is fun because McGonagall like shuts up Umbridge a bit. She Umbridge does keeps twice. on saying yeah yeah she does it twice Umbridge so. keeps on like trying to interrupt and being like uh ah, 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 ah. and McGonagall's McGonagall continues to ask her if she needs like a a mint or something or McGonagall's definitely not having it. She doesn't deserve to get stunned at the end. That was that was kind of jarring for me that mcgonagall would be taken out so easily. Anyway Harry gets into the fire he talks with Sirius Sirius kind of reassures them a little bit. It's I mean, it's alright. But at least it kind of convinces Harry to continue on a little bit here. Fred and George have finally had it. So they're gonna they're gonna exit the school. So they summon their brooms. They tell Peeves to give Hogwarts hell, whatever, like enough of this umbrage, you know, Peeves, you're you're our new disciple, and Peeves salutes them as they fly off. In the midst of, it's a really fun uh, scene in the movie, as well as as well as the book, obviously. And so, my guys, Fred and George, they're probably going to my top three. This is an awesome book for them. The character that I would love to see in the movies that didn't make it that was really good throughout all all the books was Peeves. I would have loved to see him in the movies. I think he appears a little bit in the first couple movies.
1: There's a cool part about Peeves when also they're in the room of requirement practicing spells, and he's just doing annoying things, and they just have to disregard him. I wish there would have been more parts like that. Like there, here's an aspect of living in a magical castle is there could just be an annoying, an annoying poltergeist that you have no power whatsoever over.
0: There's another throwaway line later on too, where they talk about the the havoc that Peeves is getting up to on Umbridge. And there's a line that says something like they could have sworn they heard McGonagall whisper out of the corner of her mouth to Peeves like, hey, that chandelier loosens if you turn it the other way. Something, yeah. something like that. <laughs> so after this, we go to our final Quidditch match. So Gryffindor's still hanging in there, still got a chance. If only Ron can get things together. Harry and Hermione are taken out of the stands by Hagrid, who like really needs their help. Hagrid, terrible timing, man. The Game is on. But they they agreed to go with him. Hagrid has Grob. Worst part of his, his half brother. Another thing, we I guess we hate the Hagrid parts in in general here. But he's trying to teach he's trying to teach Grob English. He's trying to humanize him. It's like Hagrid, enough, man! Like this is not happening. And we get into it with the centaurs here, who are kind of on our side. Like, dude, Hagrid, stop! This is ridiculous. We don't want Grob in our forest. Anyway, after they come out of this, after being introduced to Grop and Harry and Hermione are like, okay, what are we going to do about this thing? They come back into this boisterous singing of Weasley is our king. They're like, oh, great. Ron screwed it up. Everyone's singing it. This is so bad. But as they get closer, they realize the lyrics are a little bit different. And instead of the negative lyrics, they're positive lyrics. And the Gryffindors are singing. And Ron is saving everything. And they're carrying him on their backs. and. Gryffindor has won the cup, and Ron has got it together. And Steven is grinning like a fool. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> grinning like a fool as I read this. This is fantastic stuff. I, Man, this is so good, especially for Ron's character to like be able to turn it around here. Awesome.
1: Yeah, the first good moment for Ron since he was successful at Wizard Chess in year one.
0: <laughs> it's been a while since Ron has been highlighted. This is great for him. The one thing I do wish is they wish... Because, like, obviously they won the quidditch cup but they didn't really explain what they had to do to win i mean like did they have to win by a certain point total because like genie caught the snitch but it's like yeah score typically like, that's always a thing right like that was a big thing in the quidditch world cup it's been a big thing before like here you can't catch it until we have at least so many points Yeah, so it's but like, in this case they just kind of they just kind of won so it's like how many did he actually save did they just did he just save everything like Maybe maybe not as important this go-around. Like, the scores were a little more reasonable.
1: Shout-out to Gryffindor House, though, for rallying around their boy, Ron, that they recognized had been belittled by the Slytherin House. And rather than propping up, obviously, we've talked about this before, the Seeker's the only position that actually matters. So, mm-hmm. it should have really been Weasley as our queen, because yeah. nothing the British Cup doesn't happen. Like, forget Ron, like, Ginny had to catch the snitch. But, yeah, props for them for recognizing that Ron was really, really a hot and cold player. And if they want to get some momentum going into the next year, if they want Ron entering it on a high, then you got to build his uh-huh. confidence right now. Uh
0: huh. Uh huh. You got to take advantage of moments like this. Also, shout out to Jamie, who realizes that Harry will probably be back next year on the Quidditch team. And- oh, Openly willing to give back the secret. Yeah, she's she's her. she's yeah. willing to adapt her game for
1: the team. Yeah, lots of lots of sporting parallels right here. When an injured player goes down, someone steps up, but you know that that player is coming back the following season. Jason Tatum rookie season, oh. yielding to Kyrie Irving in the next year. Shout out Brooklyn Nets. What are they going to do next year? Oh yeah, Karis Levert this year. Lots of lots of times when that has happened.
0: Is that a foreshadow that you are calling the Nets to win the championship next year? I have problems with the Nets because I don't like Durant, but that's gonna be a that's gonna be a side thing. Check out Tayshaun's Muscles podcast for for stuff like that.
1: I do think that Steve Nash would be a cool actor in a Harry Potter movie or a fantasy book. Any any movie based on just because he has just because he's had long hair before.
0: Because, yeah, <laughs> and it
1: looks like he's been through
0: a lot. You know, <laughs> it looks like. He has, he's had, he's had, he's had a lot of injuries in his career. Side side, story, join our Discord if you want me to, to tell you about my Steve Nash fandom history. Anyway, we're going to our OWLs now. So from sporting to academics, the OWLs are starting. We start with astronomy and the astronomy exam is one for the ages because during the exam, two teachers are attacked and McGonagall, head of Gryffindor house and like de facto leader of the school, is stunned and seriously injured. This came out of nowhere. It's like, what the heck? McGonagall can't go down from some stunning spells. But she does. Hagrid escapes. This is a whole thing that Umbridge is trying to take Hagrid. She wants to take him quietly. She's trying to sack him. And she doesn't want another whole Trelawney thing. But it goes terribly. McGonagall tries to break it up. Anyway, the astronomy exam. That was something. And two of Harry's top supporters are now gone. The only two teachers left that will actually stand up and act out against Umbridge. No faith in Professor Vector still. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Mysterious Professor Vector. So next OWL is History of Magic. Harry falls asleep in this one. This is no surprise because this is his typical behavior for all History of Magic lessons. Maybe he's trying to like channel what's been successful for him in the past. But during this sleep... He sees another vision and this time Sirius is being held captive and tortured by Voldemort. And this is when we get into the climax of the book. So Harry immediately believes what he's seeing because this has happened before with the snake. He's determined to save him. Hermione, our main girl kind of talks him down and tells him that like, Hey, this could be a thing that Voldemort is trying to use you. She's obviously right, but Harry doesn't listen. He listens a little bit. At least he, he agrees to use Umbridge's fire again to try to, uh, Get yeah. some information to make sure that we're not doing anything too hasty. But this doesn't go very well this
1: time. The Umbridge Fire thing is now something that she's caught on to. So are we going to talk about... So Creature earlier on in the book, Sirius, obviously doesn't have a high opinion of Creature or maybe House house Elves in general, but it comes mm-hmm. back to bite him. Mm-hmm. Actually, never mind. I was going to talk about Sirius's death more. Is it a good time to talk about it? Well, briefly, I'll just say,
0: compare that Harry's treatment of Dobby and now Dobby's allegiance to him, based off of Dobby's initial you know, antagonistic behavior towards Harry, compare that to the way that Sirius treated Creature. Maybe if Sirius had been a little more accepting of his house self, he could have got him on his side and this whole thing could have been avoided. There's a lot of small things that make Sirius's death really heartbreaking. I just feel like it's super heartbreaking that Creature portrayed Sirius like that. I mean, the half-elf is supposed to be loyal, and he just openly betrays Sirius. Creature, can't trust him. Anyway, they're caught. They're caught in Umbrage's fire. This is kind of like our main guys, plus Ginny and Luna and Neville. Harry tries to get this message to Snape, and it's successful, but again, he doesn't trust Snape enough, or Snape doesn't communicate enough back to him. Snape's lip just kind of curls, and he says, like, oh, that doesn't mean anything to me, and in typical Snape fashion there's a lot of things here there's so many things that could have avoided this whole disaster which makes it even like all the more compelling when it happens i like the part where hermione commits his umbrage to follow them into the forest and then the centaurs are there and then Grop appears and there's a whole disaster i think the interesting thing here is the centaurs initially say that harry and hermione are innocent because they're younger but then in this moment, they realize that they say, Hey, these guys are no longer innocents. Like, they're just as culpable here. And this is a nice passing of, not a passing of the torch, but this is a nice moment where we see that coming of age moment. Yeah. It's a bit of a coming of age moment through what's happened before. And previously, there's always been this divide in this book between adults and children. And now, Harry and co are seriously adults. The centaurs see that. And so I think these themes are really good and they're kind of buried in here. They're buried in some frustrating plot points, but this whole idea of children versus adults and and now they're no longer children, it's really good in in the book.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really cool friend moment with Harry and Hermione that Harry clearly understood that Hermione had some plot. She had something up her sleeve, as Hermione often does, but Harry had no idea and he's just mentally fatigued and drained and physically wasted too. So he has no choice but to follow Hermione and her plan did have flaws, but I mean, I can't think of anything that could have been better. It's, it seems like every time they go into the forbidden forest, they really get saved by some, well, I'm, I'm just thinking of in book two, when they get saved by the magic car when, uh-huh. they're, when they're with Aragog, but it's really fortunate for them. And yeah, I agree. Awesome plan by Hermione. And in the first book, when they're there
0: and, and they see Voldemort drinking the blood, Of the unicorn and they're saved by the centaur again the centaurs are true yeah this time they're not saved by the centaurs but Grop comes in and busts things up enough where they run off and then they hop on the thestrals and they fly off to the ministry of magic sounds like the most scary ride ever like imagine yeah imagine if you couldn't see i mean if you're harry or luna it's all right but
1: and it's not like wizards are immune from falling hundreds of feet to their death because, and uh, I think it's Ron that talks, well, Ron, as soon as he dismounts, says never again or something like that. But it yeah. says that when the Thestrals were stopping and going, because they have no idea what direction they're going to go, that they were sliding up and down their necks and just holding on for dear life.
0: Yeah, that would be super scary for everyone else besides Harry and Luna. Luckily, we do survive for now and we make it to... The Ministry, which is like conveniently deserted, and they get in, they make it to the Department of of, uh, Mysteries, and they're trying to find Sirius, but Sirius isn't there. But what is there is this mysterious glass spear that has Harry's name on it. So of course, we're going to grab this. Oh, yeah. Great idea. And once we grab it, then all the Death Eaters show up, and Lucius Malfoy is there and says, hey, Harry, why don't you just hand that over here, along with all of my crew? And then we start fighting. And maybe just like your guys thoughts here on kind of the final battle. There's a lot that goes down. I, I mean, I I'm surprised that the, the 15 and the one 14 year old Luna or the two 14 year olds, Luna and, and Junie were able to hold off the death eaters until. Yeah. But they're, but they've been in the DA for a while. You forgot about the DA, I think. They they know what three, three spells, the death eaters are throwing out a Vada and, and killing spells and, I mean, it's not like they're winning. They're not winning, but they are like holding their own a little bit. They're able to distract. Time for the reinforcements. Yeah. The reinforcements do arrive in the form of the Order of the Phoenix. And then we finally see some like real high scale,
1: high stakes wizarding battles, like some cool magic is actually being slung around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I really like this passage for that. When the Death Eaters first show up, it's well, it's the second straight book when you have a large cluster of death eaters that outnumber underage wizards, well, in the last book, they, there were only against Harry. And in this book, you're wondering how in the world are they going to get out of this? But then just like knocking over stuff and creating distractions turns out to be enough to, to buy them some time. But yeah, when the order of the Phoenix shows up, it's fireworks time. Like get out of the way amateurs. Cause
0: I really liked how the book did this, and I really like the movie version as well. Just the scene where it, like the Death Eaters all have caught the all the DA members, and uh-huh. Lucius is like, "Okay, Harry, we're gonna kill them all if you don't give it." And Sirius shows up and
1: saves. I like him. how there's a bunch of like split scenes going on and like side one-on-one, one versus two battles, and we keep jumping back and forth and there's these these kind of conflicts
0: there's a lot of different moments yeah there's a lot of different moments here it establishes bellatrix as a big villain right away she obviously kills sirius dumbledore shows up a little bit late right like he doesn't show up until it's too late to save sirius when he does show up he corrals all of the death eaters and it seems like they're gonna win the day even though several people have been taken out and sirius has been killed. There's also this moment where Harry is chasing after Bellatrix and he just like totally loses it and goes caps lock Harry and is throwing out unforgivable curses and cannot keep it together. I mean, sure, like stakes are high, but maybe it's like a little disappointing that as soon as this happens to Harry, he goes to the dark side right away and starts using the unforgivable curses. It's like if Luke Skywalker joined Darth Vader right away and and started using, you know, the power of the Sith, the dark side. Harry immediately chooses to use the unfor-
1: Unforgivable Curses. I, I hadn't thought of it that way.
0: Well, he's he's got to think that Sirius is only what he considers to be true family, right? Yeah, but he has no morals. Like, where's the moral high ground? You gotta you gotta draw the line somewhere. At that point, I w- if I was Harry, I would I would totally go as wall. I'd go after Bellatrix with everything. Maybe I maybe like too much ribbing from Zacharias Smith about expelliarmus, and now he's like,
1: okay, <laughs> Crucio, sure. Yeah, he's like, guess what? I'm going to teach you at the next DA meeting, Zacharias. Uh huh. And
0: apparently, these spells are not actually unforgivable because Harry uses them and suffers no, like zero punishment.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, that is true. I think it's interesting how Harry reacts to the death because it's not the first death that he's seen in cold blood. It's the first person that he actually cared about deeply, though. It kind of, you kind of progress through the way that Harry views death. Like, it starts off with his parents, but obviously he wasn't. Of fully conscious being at that time, and he really couldn't process it. And then you go to Cedric, which, I mean, whatever. He was sad about it for a while, but he seems to have gotten over because he's into Cho. That might have been a little mean, actually. But then it's somebody that he, yeah. he actually cares about. So Harry should be able to handle it a little bit more. Like it's not something totally new to him. And I realize he's panicking because he thinks, "Is everything I love going to be taken away?" But he still has a lot of things going for like a good support system. He should understand the overall picture and the overall battle.
0: I, th- I think it's a bad decision for him to use the unforgivable, unforgivable curses, but I understand him freaking out and, and losing it because of everything that's been set up with Sirius. Like Sirius is really the only person that he can talk mm-hmm. rely on as a father figure. Now he's been taken away. Dumbledore is being a jerk to him. And earlier in the battle, like, Hermione and Ron were both taken out Their fates are kind of unknown Right now we didn't we didn't see them die on camera Or anything but there's so many Emotions going on right now for Harry I'm okay with him losing a little bit I'm just disappointed that he couldn't draw the line Well what's he going to use Expel the armies and have The wand fly away like he's got to Stupefy I don't know Like maybe this is on rolling a little bit Like there should be more like positive Powerful spells that you could use Against people
1: I shouldn't be surprised by Harry's behavior, actually, because if you remember back to the third book, they have to restrain him from personally going after Sirius Black. So it's clear that he doesn't understand any difference. Like his success against Voldemort has made him feel invincible. He, we've talked about his invincibility complex before. I'm just saying, like it's not a smart thing to go after Bellatrix. Clearly, but it's I, it's justified in feeling totally devastated. So Dumbledore corrals
0: the Death Eaters, and him and Voldemort fight. They had the cool duel. Um, they they used some some magic that we haven't seen before that Harry could only dream of using. These are some really advanced wizards. This is like the forefront of magical technology that's being pushed out here. And ultimately, Voldemort and Bellatrix escape right as Fudge and the Ministry arrives. And Fudge Fudge sees Voldemort and finally opens his eyes a little a little bit to what's going on. Hopefully. And then everyone takes off. Dumbledore has the post book meeting with Harry that happens every time. And Dumbledore explains what's going on with the prophecy and that the secret power that Harry has is love. And he takes responsibility for the whole thing. He explains that Trelawney um, issued the prophecy that he was, the, he, that he heard it back in the day. And it means that, you know, the, the one with the power to vanquish the dark Lord, blah, 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 will be is either Harry or Neville. And that's based off of who Voldemort chose to attack. Anyway, there's a lot going on here towards the end. But what stuck with you guys? You missed this part where Voldemort kind of like possesses Harry. And he tells uh-huh. Voldemort tells Dumbledore to like kill Harry to kill... Yeah, that does happen. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And in that Harry was just so weak and vulnerable at that moment that Voldemort was able to do that. And then just the whole, I, I I, mean, I didn't like the end of this book. Just Dumbledore just explaining everything, why he didn't really talk and teach Harry in this book, why I get the whole part of like why he has to stay at the Dursleys. Like that part's understandable a little bit, but just the whole part of Dumbledore just like distancing himself throughout the book. And I I mean, I didn't like that part whatsoever. Yeah, we talked about
1: we, we talked about how it was unsatisfying.
0: I'd be so mad at Dumbledore if I was Harry.
1: Yeah, a few thoughts. So all of the other DA members, they seem to have gotten pretty damaged by the events in the Department of, of Mysteries. But it doesn't really touch on any of their recovery. Like a lot of them faced a lot of dark things that they had not previously encountered. But then it's it's all about Harry after and how he's feeling and Dumbledore's chat with him.
0: I mean, it's always through Harry's
1: eyes. Like, It's
0: called Harry Potter. It's not Ron Weasley and the and the Order of the Phoenix. It's Harry Potter. They all do go to the hospital. True. They're all at the hospital, and they do see Umbridge that Dumbledore saved. True. Yeah, Umbridge makes a return. McGonagall, Hagrid make a return. Harry at the very end has this kind of emotional moment with, I'm serious. He gets the mirror. He wants to see if maybe Sirius could come back as a ghost. He has this conversation with Luna about kind of death in general, and then he returns home to to Vernon and Petunia for one more summer. There is a nice moment at the end where the Order kind of threatens them a little bit and says, "Like we better hear from Harry. He better have a good summer with you guys." Yeah, Um, but it's this really uneasy ending. You know, Voldemort is off. He's got some really powerful supporters. They've got some of them in Azkaban, but there's no reason to think that they're going to stay in Azkaban based off of what we saw in this book. Yeah. they got giants too. Mad-Eye Moody's like, I want to hear from Harry like every three three days. Yeah. That is pretty...
1: (laughs) So the thought that I wanted to bring up, and it could be a little controversial, is on my... So I'm rereading this and my reread, I've had different thoughts than what I had when I was a teenager reading it. But I didn't think looking forward to the next couple of years i thought that sirius's character arc pretty much had run its course and i don't know like had he survived i don't know what progression we see from him and i think it was clear that why he was the choice for the the person to die Mm -hmm. right here what i'm trying to say like i'm sad about sirius dying i'm not as attached to him as as other people that that totally fanboy or fangirl over serious. I don't think he's that awesome. He has a lot of flaws. But I think that he showed a lot of like one-dimensionality that I don't think he would have added a lot to the books had he continued on in books six and seven.
0: So speaking of individual characters, I think we're a wrap for the book, and we end every Harry Potter episode with our top three and bottom three characters. We're going long on our recording, so let's each just briefly go through Yeah, it's been it's been a good time. But we, in order to, uh, in interest of time, for our viewers here, let's just briefly go through and give us your top three and bottom three. We'll start with top three, but only like one brief thing about them. No monologues, just quick. So we'll go top three, and let's start with Nathan. Okay, so my top top three would probably be number number one would be Umbridge. Top three? Yeah, number one. Okay. Or you can put like slash Ministry of Magic. I just feel like what they tried to do and what Umbridge tried to do was successful. I, I really liked her as a villain throughout the book. Yeah, that's fair. And when we say top three and bottom three, we're saying like people who performed the best, not the people that we liked the most. Number number two, I really liked Terry in this book. He had his moments. Yeah, but I mean, I, he's 15 years old. He's doing a whole lot, and number three would uh, be Ron. Even though I, I don't like Ron throughout the series, he—I mean—he stepped up for the Quidditch team. Un, un, I mean, he progressed as a character. Nice,
1: yeah.
0: You my picked Ron favorite. for
1: like one Quidditch save.
0: <laughs> so Ron made it into Nathan's top three. That's that's monumental. Okay, Dan,
1: let's hear your top three. I have three girls. I have Hermione for giving relationship advice to Harry, for her idea to go to the Force, which you talked about, for her really gutsy confrontations with Umbridge, where she said that she had read the whole book and understood everything already. She brought up the Dumbledore's army idea from the beginning. She ended her family vacation to help Harry. She put the cool jinx on the paper. Her only downside is like the spew stuff. And she dissed Luna a couple times. I picked McGonagall for standing up to, uh, for exhibiting quite a bit of swag and standing up to umbridge and for being a reliable professor, one of the only reliable adults. And I picked Ginny because Ginny becomes a really cool character in this book. She's a sneak, she's a seeker. She dates Michael mm-hmm. Corner for a little bit. She is sure. the one to tell Harry that she's been possessed by Voldemort and like bring him back to reality for a little bit, and tell him what it's like. She was a really independent, strong character that I liked a lot.
0: Yeah, Ginny with the big glow up in book 5. Okay. My top three, I'm going to go. Number one is Harry guys. I mean, this is a really good Harry book. There's a lot here in here, this is like the emotions of Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the teenage emotions is what maybe this book should have been called, but he does really well with everything he's dealing with. And in, in recapping this, like I'm just amazed at how well he's able to handle things. Even though he has some real downer moments, he's got some real positive ones and it's easy to choose the one who you're seeing everything through his eyes. It's Harriet number one. Number two, Fred I'm George. gonna say, yeah, Fred and George. George. It's 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 Fred and George. I already kind of gushed over Fred and George. And and they were hilarious. And their their just ability to not care at all about school, but also be successful. What they were trying to do is awesome. Their confidence is is very uh, admirable. Number three is Hermione. Once again, Hermione is the adult in the room and has the plan and executes very well under pressure even though she gets taken out in the last battle, which is a little disappointing. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nathan, let's hear your bottom three. These are characters who did not perform well. Bottom three, uh, number one would be Hagrid. This is, I mean, Hagrid in this book was just, every chapter with Hagrid in it, I just skimmed through. It was just really boring. Yeah, Hagrid was abysmal. (laughs) Uh, Number two would be Creature. Just his betrayal of Sirius at the end of the book and just... Overall, his behavior throughout, throughout the book. And then number three would be Dumbledore. Just the communication factor to Harry and just not just not being there for Harry when he needs him to be. Yeah. Yeah, tough to swallow. Okay, Dan,
1: your bottom three. I have a t- two of mine are repeats from Nathan, Hagrid and Dumbledore. I can't decide who's number one. Hagrid doesn't have a single good moment in this book. Dumbledore at least has some good moments, so he's Stephen. Does not agree that Hagrid didn't have any good moments, but I'm not remembering any. No, other.
0: no, no, no. I, 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 I just think it's kind of rough. Like we're really dissing on Hagrid. At least he, uh, he was able to ward off the stunning spells. Maybe at the end, is that is that a good moment? Mm, that's just, maybe. That's his uh, genetics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I've tried, I'm trying. I'm searching. Anyway, Dumbledore, he's the leader of everything that goes on. Like. Everything is filtered through Dumbledore to Harry, and he is responsible for shutting everything off. So I thought that was a huge error from him. Snape, because as a teacher, I can just say that if you're given one-on-one lessons to someone for an extended amount of time, and they learn nothing, and in fact, their skills decrease, then that is on you. You are a bad (laughs) teacher, and you failed. and it could cost the entire magic world. Does Snape really care that Sirius
0: died though? Yeah, Questionable. Did he was he even there for the battle? No, he couldn't have been.
1: No. He's still undercover. Yeah. He he's the real sleeper cell.
0: So. Alright, my number three, well, I'll just throw out three. I'm gonna say the worst was clearly Marietta, the sneak, who blew up Dumbledore's army. Like, what the heck, girl? Her and the combination of Cho. So I mean I can understand, but she wasn't. She was a terrible girlfriend. (laughs) She had Harry Potter in the bag, and she was unable to to seal the deal. So too bad for her. So those two that that's that's counting as one. I'm going to say the entirety of the Order of the Phoenix because you guys already said Dumbledore. The communication was rough. I think there is a reason for it, and it works for the book and drives the novel along. But it is tough. And then I'm going to say number three is going to be, hey, I'm going to say Ron. I, I think, uh, you know, even though he had a good Weasleys Our King moment, the moment with Ron that always kind of was funny to me was the whole thing with the brains in the final battle. Like I get that he got hit with this lunacy spell, but then he was unable to get it together and he got caught by this weird brain thing. I just, maybe I didn't like the brain is what I'm trying to say, but I thought that was a, a pathetic showing from him in in the last battle. I guess Ron and Hermione, neither one of them, could really help out too much. This, can't handle brains, can't handle spiders. I guess he can he can catch the quaffle every now and then, but that's about it. Okay, that's that's a wrap, man. We went way long on this episode. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. We are going to review the next two Harry Potter books as well. I think those will be shorter. This book was just so massive; it was over eight hundred pages long. So long, so tough, tough to rein it in. If you like Phantology, check us out on social media at Phantology Books. On your internet browser at www.phantologybooks.com. Check out our merch store. Check out our Audible connection. If you're looking for cool merch, some some kind of nerdy shirts. They're not just stuff that says Phantology. It's all kinds of fun stuff on the merch side. And then check out our Patreon tiers for some exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff, including some reactions to books that we finish, and you can be involved in the community more and join our discord and let us know your thoughts and where you'd like us to go with the channel. That's a wrap for me, Dan and Nathan signing off any final, like Dan, you have some like funny Harry Potter thing to say to close this out. Yeah, I'm just thinking about
1: uh, trying to bring in the room of requirement into something right now. <laughs> if I, uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Okay, that's a- that's alright, just
0: just give us just give us a piece or something. Hey, something that I forgot to mention that I had I had written down here was uh the sacrifice sacrifice to save Dumbledore. Yeah, but he's just gonna be reborn. Yeah, but it was still it was still pretty cool that he showed up. Okay, sure. Him. So on that note, like a Phoenix, we're out of here, right?
1: Steven, the good thing is that you don't need extendable ears to listen to the phantology podcast which i'm very grateful for
0: what a boom all right on that dad joke we're (laughs) out of here see you guys see ya Bye. bye